I'm Carson Horn, and it's Wednesday at 10, which means it's time for Talking Tumors on Weagle 91.1. So grab your toilet paper and let's get rolling. Welcome into Talking Tumors on this busy Wednesday morning in the sports world. Of course, the retirement of Tom Brady is dominating every sports radio or TV channel that you turn it on. And of course, that goes along with National Signing Day today for college football. There are so many things to talk about, but here on this show, we're going to talk Auburn sports. We're going to talk Auburn basketball. We're going to talk Auburn football. And we're going to talk a little bit about refereeing and how we can fix that. There's tons for us to get to today. I'm very excited to to dive into this show. And I did mention signing day. We'll mention that as well for for Auburn football a little bit later on in the show. But today, like the last few weeks, we're going to start out talking about Auburn basketball. And we knew coming in last week that the schedule was getting tougher. And I said last week, I said, there's a possibility that Auburn goes 2-0. and There's also a possibility Auburn goes 0-2. Well, the latter ended up happening. Auburn went 0-2 last week. The home winning streak, the longest in the country there for a short while, came to an end. Unfortunately, just got the email from Auburn advertising tonight's game. And with the message in there, let's start a new home winning streak. And honestly, that made me a little upset. But all good things have to come to an end. I think that's the that's the saying. And, and so the home winning streak did come to an end for Auburn last week. Now they look to move ahead and bounce back from that 0-2 week this week. But in order to do that, we need to look back at these two games, figure out what went wrong for Auburn and how this team can respond and improve. And is it and it was it really the end of the world for this team? I think not. But with that being said, let's dive into this Texas A&M game first which is the game in which the home winning streak ended. Quite frankly, Auburn got whooped in that game. It was brutal. Uh, I wasn't happy. It was an 8 o'clock tip. I stood out in the cold along with many other students uh, for multiple hours to get uh, into that game. And Auburn jumped out to a 10-2 lead, and it felt like the roof was about to uh, get blown off of Neville Arena. The crowd was going crazy. Auburn knocked down a couple big shots. Everything was feeling good, like, here we go again, this is, you know, we're about to roll, keep that home winning streak alive, but A&M responded, and the thing with Auburn is, they cooled down, A&M never did until really in the second half, uh, they got hot from three, they hit their average amount of three-pointers in the first half, look, I said that I would probably end up looking dumb, because I talked about that game, and saying I wouldn't be surprised if it was in the 50s, but I go and say that, and then both teams will be at 40 at half, well, Auburn was in, what, about 30, and A&M had like 45. And that's, again, because A&M matched their, um, their typical threes in the game in the first half. They got hot. You you can't control that. It's going to happen. That's happened with Auburn some this year. With, you know, you're not a great three-point shooting team, but some games you're just feeling it. That happened for A&M. Auburn adjusted defensively. They said, okay, A&M starts knocking down some threes. We weren't expecting that. We'll adjust. We'll start guarding the, the three-point line a little bit closer. That opened up driving lanes, and Tyrese Radford, man, he went off for A&M, and Auburn could not stop him, didn't have an answer for him. He knocked down a bunch of threes, was able to get to the basket at will. In the second half, really, Auburn had to choose, and I I remember saying this to the 
to my friend that was with me at the game and said, Auburn's going to have to choose. Do we want to defend the three-point line or do we want to defend the paint? Auburn and Justin decided, look, if you're making threes, then we'll tip our, tip, uh, our hat to you. They decided we're going to defend the paint. I thought things went a little bit better defensively there in the second half when they decided to do that. A&M did cool down from three there in the second half. Again, when it's a trend, your your trend is usually you're not going to be able to do it for the whole game, even if you're doing it for the first half. Sometimes you will. And again, they didn't, but Auburn couldn't even get enough going offensively to make up for a 15-point deficit there in the second half. The most they were able to cut it to was nine, so it really never and got to where it was a big threat uh, for, a- for A&M. Uh, it, again, it, it was just a tough game. It was a a tough matchup, and again, A&M's a good team. They got beat by Arkansas last night, but they are a good team. They're a good defensive team, and as for Auburn, and I've said it before, the margin of error for this team is thin because you don't have a great offense, and last year with with the team, even if you have bad all, uh, a bad night overall offensively, you still got a guy like Jabari Smith that you're just going to feed the ball. And there were nights last season um, where it didn't matter even with Jabari Smith, that, and that's going to happen. But you really just don't have that option this year. So when you're, you're not a great offensive team and the team you're going up against is super hot, shooting is going to make, you're going to have to play a near perfect game uh, to win in, in that aspect, meaning you're going to have to play lockdown defense and they make tough shots and make tough shots. You're going to have to hope that you uh, knock down some tough looks. And any any hot night from an opposing team against Auburn this year that is not typically a great offense is going to cause trouble for this team. It, it just is because this offense isn't meant to score 80 points a game, and that's what it kind of takes against a team who's hot, for instance, like A&M was. Again, in most cases, and when Auburn plays A&M again here in less than a week, uh, they get another chance to play them going to College Station. Good chance A&M does not shoot that well, and it's a completely different game. It's kind of more of a game like we expected going into this one where it is lower scoring, and that's the type of game Auburn has to play and wants to play. The problem was they ran into two teams who ended up being hot because the same story was true with a few differences against West Virginia. Look, I knew that one was going to be tough. Really, I think most people predicted Auburn would win the game at home and then would probably lose to West Virginia. And in similar fashion, West Virginia, a little bit better of a shooting team than A&M, I will say that. A little bit better of an offensive team than A&M, but still not great. But they Auburn fell to down 16 at half against West Virginia. I really felt like Auburn's offense was worse in the first half against West Virginia than it was against A&M. They had no flow. Janai Broom got in foul trouble, really did not play much of the first half at all. And I think you saw what kind of impact he has because this team needs to be able to work through the front court. And when he went out in foul trouble, Auburn really wasn't able to, and the guards weren't able to get much going. Uh, At the beginning of the first half, though, they did work it to Janai. They did work it to Jalen and had some good looks. And I really liked the flow that they had going. Just weren't able to knock them down. So Auburn's down big. It, it was 16. I was covering the game. I was like, I'm about to ready to write the article. Same story, different day. It was kind of what I was thinking um, in, in my head. But Auburn responded. Hey, a very good second half. West Virginia cooled down from three to a certain extent. But Eric Stevenson, man, he was incredible. Auburn did go after him in the transfer portal. He transferred from South Carolina. He ended up choosing to go to West Virginia. And you can see why Auburn went after him. He he hit shots that 
or just remarkable. Or he hit shots that Auburn defended as well as you could. I mean, hand in, hand in his face, there's nothing more Auburn could have done defensively. There was only about two times that where I thought, okay, you got you got to play better defense on him. He he just knocked down tough shots. And when somebody does that, you got to tip your hat to him. And Eric Stevenson was certainly. Uh, that way, and he really was the reason West Virginia won that game because Auburn played a better second half than West Virginia. But the key point was the first time Auburn cut it to one there in the second half, Eric Stevenson immediately responded with an absolutely incredible three, and he stretched the lead back to four, and a uh, West Virginia in- ends up pulling it out. It, it was tough, but it was a positive second half to see from this team. But they've got to play 40 minutes like that. The effort, the energy they, they play with on the offensive and defensive end in the second half was good. They've got to keep that going. And even had a chance to win at the end. Wendell Green uh, tossed up a three to try to try to tie it and force overtime. But obviously that was no good, and West Virginia pulled it out. Uh, I was on the postgame Zoom with, uh, with Bruce Pearl. Obviously there was a lot of frustration uh, with how that game turned out. Uh, I, a lot of frustration just the fact that you had two straight games where – You've had guards go off uh, for opposing teams, but that's going to happen. Good players are going to have good nights. Funny thing about Eric Stevenson was last night West Virginia played, and he only made one shot. So it, it, that that's sports, that's basketball. And but Bruce Pearl also knows there are things his team could have done better to overcome even that hot night from Eric Stevenson. That's something that as a team you want to be able to build on. And say, okay, how can we still overcome these things even when an opposing guard goes off like that? Are there ways in which we can still win the game? And for Auburn, I, I think that they saw that. In the second half, offensively, again, they worked through the front court. Janai Broom had all of his 15 points in the second half. Jalen Williams had ended up with 18 points, knocking down a couple threes, uh, getting his shot that he likes in the paint. So, yes, the guards are important. Yes, Wendell Green's important. Katie Johnson had a good second half. A lot of question marks about him this season just really has not seemed to be the same guy that he was last year as far as a scoring threat so it was good to see him have a a good game that two position is frustrating for me uh, I want more out of it Auburn needs more out of it because you're getting good production from the four you're getting good production from the five and I'd argue you're getting good production in the most part now from the three position with Alan Flanagan and I think Wendell Green's have a uh, having a phenomenal year but at the two, you're really struggling uh, to get much production at all. Uh, Zepp Jasper is a great defender. I'll give him that. He he is a great defensive player. You just don't get much offensively out of him. And then Katie Johnson this year, you have not gotten what you got out of him last year. He was averaging double digit in points uh, last year, and you're you're not seeing that. But he played well against West Virginia. Maybe that's something he can build on. So overall, just kind of summarizing the week and looking back at it, it was it was a tough week. Really, the A&M game, it's painful to lose that, uh, the home winning streak, especially it's tough to lose a home SEC game. You need to win those. I've talked about that because of the schedule. But there were positives really from that second half of the West Virginia game. A missed opportunity to get a quad one win, which that means that's what the NCAA committee is really looking at as far as getting into the NCAA tournament. Auburn goes anywhere from one to two quad one wins, which is going to put you at a little bit of a more of a lower seed and a little bit of a um, risk as far as getting in the tournament. I still think Auburn is fine as far as getting in the tournament right now. Uh, but you want to get those quad one wins. It's all, it's all these analytics and metrics that are used. Um, and I don't even understand it completely. 
but that is how the committee decides if you get in the tournament and where you're seated at. So that West Virginia game would have been a chance to get a third quad one win, and it would have been on the road. So it was a big missed opportunity. Luckily for Auburn, the schedule was very tough and loaded with quad one opponents coming up. And uh, Georgia is not, but Alabama is, Tennessee is. Uh, so those will be big opportunities uh, down the stretch uh, of this season. Of course, we'll talk more about these upcoming games in the next segment. But with that, we're about to head to our first break uh, of the day. Thank you again for tuning in this morning to Talking Tumors. When we come back, we'll dive into Auburn football recruiting. Like I mentioned, it is National Signing Day. We'll talk a little bit about that. And we finished up our breakdown of Transfer Portal, uh, guys, for this uh, cycle for now. But we will talk about some needs that are still there for this team moving forward and about this junior day that Auburn hosted this past weekend and a little intel on that. So stay tuned here to Talking Tumors. Welcome back to Talking Tumors now here on Weagle 91.1. It is National Signing Day. And let me just, if you if you will, let me reminisce a little bit on, on National Signing Day. I, I have fond memories of the February National Signing Day. Unfortunately, it's not near... Uh, of a big deal as it once was because of the early early signing period that we have now uh, here in, uh, in excuse me in December. That's when most of your top recruits all sign is is in December. You don't see much action happening now. There are a few big names out there still, but for the most part, everyone signs in December. And if you don't sign in December, usually you're still committed, and it's just a formality here in February. Again, there are some outliers. Um, but it's not near what it what it once was. But uh, this this you know early signing period. I can't remember how many years now, but it hasn't been long. But in, in my in my childhood, though, I I do uh, remember a specific signing day. It was uh, in February, and uh, my brother and I just ho- both happened to to um, be sick on the, the same day at the same time. So we ended up getting to go to um, my grandparents' house where they always uh, took care of us when we were under the weather and couldn't go to couldn't go to school. And so uh, I remember uh, going over there and just being able to watch uh, National Signing Day coverage. Back then it was on ESPNU, getting to watch that all day and the excitement that all that was, getting to watch all those uh, recruits and seeing what schools they were going to pick. And, and uh, you know, Auburn was in on, on some of them. That was just a lot of fun. I remember Signing Day being just one of the – uh, most exciting uh, days for me as a kid, and it's funny that just the way I've always been, always loved sports and the uh, coverage, especially with college football and, and recruiting. And that was before I was on any message boards or anything like that, so uh, I didn't I didn't know where where anybody was going. So seeing it on TV was the first time I really having any knowledge of uh, what not having any knowledge, getting to watch them on TV and then learning where they're where they're going to go. Uh, so that that was exciting. That's a fun memory. Uh, again, like I said, unfortunately now February signing day isn't one, what it once was. I'm sure maybe some of the uh, recruiting uh, guys who cover it like that because it's a little bit less stress on them. That's a little bit more spread out, but really pretty much everyone still signs on the first day in, in December of signing day, even though there's the, the two-week period, I believe, or something like that for National Signing Day, but I wanted to share that story. That's one of my uh, favorite stories uh, to, to tell people, um, just a, a memory I have about Signing Day. But as for Auburn today, I really on, only believe, again, there could be a surprise out there that we know nothing about 
I only believe that Jeremiah Cobb, who's been committed to Auburn for a, for a while, will officially sign today uh, with the Tigers. Uh, he was the only one left in this current class who had not put pen to paper. Uh, I think uh, his high school wanted him to wait and do it with his teammates here in February since he wasn't an early enrollee. So he'll do that. I do not expect there to be any others, but you never know. There could be uh, something else coming out today. As for Auburn football recruiting in general, though, I do believe there will be a, a 2024 commit today, maybe two even. Uh, we'll see uh, what happens there. And these are guys that are current juniors, so they're obviously not coming in this next year, um, but will be a part of next year's class, which, as Hugh Freeze said, it has a long way to go. He said we're way behind in the 2024 recruiting class. He spoke to Alabama high school coaches this past week, and that's where he discussed that. And you don't think about that. We were way behind in 2023 recruiting. But also, a lot of schools already have near, you know, around double digit guys committed for the class of 2024, and Auburn has won. And so, it, it, you are behind when you get a, a coaching change, puts you behind in multiple classes. And so, really, the 2025 class is going to be the only class where Hugh Freeze and, and company really won't have an excuse as far as being behind the eight ball, because uh, they are. Uh, with the 2024 class, but they're going to make up ground. I fully expect it to be a, a good recruiting class. Who knows what it's going to look like, but it could be adding a second commit today, maybe even a third, uh, if not today, here soon. So that'll be something uh, to keep an eye on if you're Auburn fans. Again, not in the 2023 class, but moving forward. And that kind of follows the momentum of Junior Day that Auburn had this past weekend had over 200 players at Junior Day. Just incredible. Uh, Brian Harson and company had something a Junior Day as well. It was nothing to the level that this one was as far as the amount of recruits and the level of recruits that were here. Uh, it, it's called Junior Day, but there were juniors, there were sophomores, even uh, the 8th grade quarterback from Thompson High School who just won a state championship uh, was here. I can't imagine doing college recruitment as an eighth grader. You've still got four years of high school, uh, but but that that is the the day and age that we are in now. So it was a big day. I think it was largely successful. Uh, I when you have these type of days, it's hard to get a lot of one on one with recruits. So a lot of times, you know, guys are going to want to come back on another weekend just to be able to spend more time with the coaches, get to know them a little bit better. But it, it's still good to have these days because you get all these top recruits on campus at the same time. They can talk with each other, hang out with each other. You get to see the facilities as a whole and things like that. So it's good for that. It's harder for building relationships, but you still need these big days. Uh, they're just as important, in my opinion, as the, the smaller visits that, that guys take. And so I know there, there, there were some comments like, well, maybe even have been too big. And you could argue that, but it depends on what you're looking at. If, if you're looking at it from the standpoint of, I'm really trying to work this one guy th- this weekend, then yes, it, it would be too big for that. But if you're just trying to get as many people on campus to see what Auburn's all about, just in a general overview, then that's what, that's really what this day's about. And if that was Auburn's goal, then I think they succeeded uh, in that. And then you'll move forward now with your once you once you get through the dead period of bringing guys back in the spring to watch practices and having smaller groups come in at, at that point to really try to continue building those relationships you got with those players. So again, another success for Hugh Freeze, I believe, uh, in recruiting. Now shifting back now to the current roster and the transfer portal and the needs that I think this team has still. 
moving forward and where where they'll be looking uh, come uh, springtime and after spring practice. Let's start with the biggest one. Obviously, there's still a need at quarterback. Hugh Freeze made a comment that probably stood out to a lot of folks this week, uh, again, speaking to Alabama high school uh, football coaches. He said, uh, and I quote, uh, I'm not sure our quarterback is on campus right now. And I, I'm sure some people that are in the Robbie Ashford boat kind of eh, didn't like that, didn't like the way Hugh Freeze said that. Maybe it came off a little rough. I don't think Hugh Freeze meant anything by it. In fact, I believe, based on what I've read, and uh, Justin Hoekson did a, a big interview on on Three Sports with Robbie Ashford. Robbie Ashford knows that Hugh Freeze plans to bring in a, a transfer quarterback. So I don't see this as being a, a comment that was going to catch anybody off guard, including Robbie Ashford. Maybe it did, but I, I don't think that, that is the that any Auburn fan should be taking it in a in a negative sense. This was something that has been discussed internally. It's been discussed with the quarterbacks on the roster. Uh, Hugh Freeze still plans to bring in someone to compete. And just because he said that doesn't mean that somebody like Holden Gurner or Robbie Ashford isn't going to win the job. It just means that look, I, I really don't know at this point. They've got to go out and compete. They've got to. They've got to. He even he went on to say something to the fact they've got to grow up. They've got to become better quarterbacks. I mean, he watched. He's gone back and watched the film of this past season. It, it's not good enough. It's not good enough. The quarterback position was not good enough to win games in the SEC and to compete at the highest level. That doesn't mean that Robbie Asher can't get there. That doesn't mean somebody like Holden Gurner can't get there. It just. The statement literally means what it means. I, I I don't know. It could be. It could not be. I don't think there's anything more to the statement. I don't think there's a reason to try to read into that too much. It just is what it is. There will be a quarterback brought in. Who will that be? I don't know. There were guys. I, there's no secret that Auburn wanted Grayson McCall. There's no secret that Auburn wanted Devin Leary. The situation with Grayson McCall was completely out of Auburn's control. There were some academic issues. I don't know exactly what. Auburn wanted him. Grayson McCall wanted to come to Auburn. Auburn was their number one choice, his number one choice. And academically, things didn't transfer over. They didn't work out. That stunk. I was very excited uh, about Grayson McCall. Very high on him. Was very much looking forward to seeing him in a Hugh Freeze uh, offense. But again, it didn't work out. At that point, Auburn turned to Devin Leary. Unfortunately, I think Auburn had put too much time and focus into McCall, and therefore Kentucky had already worked in the background. Pretty much it's kind of sealed the deal with Devin Leary. Auburn got him on campus, but it was too late there. He ends up going to Kentucky, and um, Kentucky had a good selling point. Obviously, they've just turned Will Levis into one of the top quarterbacks in the draft, and so they were able to sell Devin Leary on that, and credit to them for winning that recruiting battle. Auburn mentioned, floated around a couple other names, Brandon Armstrong, Spencer Sanders. There was a lot of smoke there. Ultimately, Spencer Sanders went to Ole Miss, which was a little bit of a surprise considering their current quarterback room with Jackson Dart. But Auburn didn't push. They decided they didn't really want to go with Spencer Sanders. I think if they had pushed, they could have gotten him. Uh, they chose not to. I don't know exactly the reason why, uh, but I'm, I'm sure they have their their opinions on that. I believe that they think they can get someone better after spring. Yes, it's probably going to be someone who get who got beat out somewhere else. That that's just a fact of the matter. The thing is, there are quarterbacks in their own rosters elsewhere that will get beaten out that are better quarterbacks than are on that are 
better quarterbacks and starters on majority of rosters. And that's the type of player that I believe Hugh Freeze is going to look for. Again, I don't know who that's going to be. You would assume if that's the case, and it's going to be coming from a big-time program somewhere like an Alabama, an Ohio State, a, a, an Oregon, a Clemson, a, a Georgia, even somewhere like that. But it may come from elsewhere. There are a couple names I don't really want to uh, get into yet that I, would be just pure speculation that I could think of that could be guys who don't win their job at their current school and that transfer. We'll see what happens. It'll be it'll be fun to watch after spring practice to see how all of this plays out. But there's no doubt that quarterback is a position of need and that Auburn uh, is going to get one after spring. But Hugh Freeze, again, doesn't just want to take a guy to take a guy. He could have done that. He could have done that this at, in this uh, previous cycle. He is wanting to get someone who's going to be able to come in and compete for the job. Then the edge position. This is going to be hard. Auburn went after some really stud edge uh, defenders. They got Elijah McAllister. I've talked about him. Auburn missed out on a couple of guys who are true great edge. Edge is like quarterback. Few and far between. So to have some really talented ones in the transfer portal, it's hard to find. And there were a few out there. Auburn, again, was not able to come up with one. Will there be one that enters after spring? It's a possibility. If there is, I fully expect Auburn will probably go after uh, him. But I don't know if that's going to be the case. It's not a necessity, but it would be nice, uh, to put it that way, as far as edge position goes. As far as linebacker, Auburn ended up getting two guys. I don't know for sure if they'll go after one more. I think this is going to be one of those positions that they that they watch and they see how it looks during spring practice, and then they make a decision uh, from there whether we want to go and get, do we want to go get another linebacker or do we feel good about where the room is at? Uh, I think this is certainly one to watch. I mentioned uh, Virginia transfer linebacker. I don't think he's committed anywhere. He took a visit to Auburn, uh, but then Auburn got two linebacker commits. Will they push for someone like him who graduates in the spring from Virginia? I don't know. Maybe. Will there be other guys that come into the portal later? Yes. Will they push for those? We'll see. I think a lot of with the a lot of remaining needs, I think it is just kind of let's see how spring practice goes, and then we'll go from there. Same thing goes for offensive line, although I do think it's not going to be as much of a wait and see. I do think they are going to go after one more offensive lineman uh, in the portal, if I had to guess, after spring. Um Will it be a guy who could come in and start? I don't know. I do think it will be someone who can come in and compete and can add depth to this room. And you may see also after spring depth pieces. Not um, You're also still trying to build the roster for the future. So you still may bring in some guys who you don't really think are going to start this year, but you bring in for depth reasons. I, I don't think you had that happen in this first cycle of the transfer portal. I think everyone that... Hugh Freeze and, and the staff brought in during this first cycle are truly guys who are going to come in and are going to compete for jobs uh, and be starters this upcoming season or at least key contributors. But in the spring, you can see a little bit different philosophy. Also depends on how many guys transfer out because remember, you are at an 85 scholarship limit and that's something you got to keep your eye on, keeping your scholarships uh, underneath the scholarship limit there. So again, there's a lot of unknown, and a lot of it, as far as roster goes, is going to be wait and see. But overall, I think the roster sits in as good of a spot, for the most part, as you could hope for, minus uh, quarterback, obviously, right now. So credit to Hugh Freeze and staff uh, for what they've done. So again, keep your eye out today for possible uh, 2024 commit, 
and, of course, Jeremiah Cobb. And then you never know. Could there be a surprise on signing day? Possibly. We'll see. But when we return, we will dive back into basketball and preview this week's slate. Welcome back now to Talking Tumors on Weagle 91.1. So let's look at this Georgia game tonight. Of course, we all remember Auburn fell to Georgia 76-68 in Athens earlier in the season. And that's when it felt like everything was starting a little bit to to make Auburn fans panic a little bit about the tournament, about this team in general. And then Auburn got hot and really started to play a lot better in conference play. Yes, they were playing some weaker teams, but they did what they were supposed to. But now we're kind of in a similar position. Back-to-back losses, feeling a little bit questionable again. So how does Auburn handle this game against Georgia? They played one of their worst games that they played um, this whole season uh, against Georgia uh, in Athens. It was just ugly. It was rough. Georgia, I mean, they dominated. They really did. They won by eight, but they dominated that game. Auburn had no answer. Defensively, it was one of the worst games Auburn uh, has played uh, this whole season. Yes, they've given up more points in that game, but as far as offensive threats go and how Auburn played, it was really, really poor. Terry Roberts went off. He got anything he wanted. He scored at will. Uh, Auburn couldn't stay in front of him. He just got to the basket over and over and over again. But after that game, you saw Auburn evolve defensively a little bit. A team that had just played pretty much just played man-to-man defense started to play a little bit of zone, and Auburn played really well against Arkansas. That They followed the Georgia game up with the Arkansas game and played a 2-3 zone almost the whole entire game and really stifled Arkansas because they forced them to shoot threes. Georgia is not a very good shooting team either. They can, again, Kerry Quindo did knock down a few threes in this game looking back at that box score. But if I remember correctly, he was wide open on a couple of those because Auburn was crashing to the basket trying to stop the drives. And then you get the drive and you get the kick out to an open three. So Auburn has to defend against that. But mixing up some man and going to that 2-3 zone tonight and forcing Georgia into some tougher threes is going to be the strategy. Now, I also think the guards are going to play with a little chip on their shoulder. I think they might want to play a little man, man-to-man to try to shut down these Georgia guards, uh, specifically Oquendo and Roberts, from getting to the basket uh, in this game. But I think you'll see a mix uh, between that zone and that man tonight. And I really expect Auburn to play much better defensively. Um, and I think they're gonna. Re- I think this game's gonna look completely different. I honestly do. I- I'm very confident uh, going into this game tonight. I like. Uh, I think the same's gonna go well. I think overall Auburn still matches up well with Georgia as far as way Auburn plays compared to the way Georgia plays. Georgia defends the three point line very well because of their guards. But again, Auburn's not a great three point shooting team. That's not where they want to live. They want to live in the paint. Janai Broom had a very good game against Georgia last time. I expect him to do the same. He's going to have size advantage down there uh, in the paint. So I really, really expect Auburn to work it through the front court, work it through Jalen Williams, work it through Janai Broom. And I think they're going to have uh, a good night tonight. And hopefully the guards still are able to come up with, with a little something. Hopefully Wendell plays well because Georgia certainly will still try to trap. They'll try to create uh, pressure on the guards and try to keep the guards from getting the ball to Janai and to Jalen in the paint. And that's really going to be the key to watch. It's not just getting it, it to them. 
It's about getting de- getting it to them in a good spot. If you can get it to them, they're at the three-point line. That doesn't matter. Being able to get a good pass, so being able to deal with that pressure that the Georgia guards are going to put on Wendell and the other, uh, and Allen Flanagan, Zepp Jasper, and Katie Johnson, whoever's handling the ball, is going to be key uh, tonight. That that's the most that's the biggest thing uh, I'm concerned about. If Auburn's able to get it into the paint and get Janai and Jalen Williams in good positions, I'm confident that they'll be able to knock down the looks and Auburn can have a good night offensively. This is a game Auburn should be able to win by double digits. I firmly believe that. But if they struggle again defensively, if they allow Georgia to get to the basket and they turn the ball over offensively uh, because of the pressure that Georgia's guards are going to provide to Auburn's guards, then you could have some issues uh, in this game. But overall, I feel good about it. Uh, Again, I like the matchup, and I think they're going to bounce back from the two losses and get revenge. Uh, on Georgia in this game. Georgia has ended up being a better team than we expected. Credit to Mike White and, and these guards for Georgia this season. They're 4-4 four and four in the SEC. They are not a bottom dweller. They're they're kind of in that middle pack in the SEC that a lot of teams kind of fall in, into this season, including Auburn. Uh, Auburn's more the upper half of it, where I'd say Georgia's more still at the lower half of that of that pack. But nonetheless, they are better and are good enough to beat you if you're not playing at a high level. So this Auburn team is going to need to respond and play well tonight, but I think they will and look to get a uh, win at home before what's going to be a brutal three-game stretch, starting with Tennessee on Saturday. Auburn has to travel to Knoxville. Uh, Tennessee, number two in the country now, uh, because of Alabama's loss to uh, Oklahoma this past weekend, Tennessee jumped up there uh, to number two after knocking off Texas. They're good. They are really, really good. They have the number one defense in the country. They only average uh, giving up only give up 54.5 points per game. They're number one in assists to turnover ratio as far as defenses go, uh, which is scary for the Auburn team who has struggled with turnovers uh, at times uh, this season. It's so hard to get good looks against them. They're a well-built team as far as size and length goes. They have they mix a good uh, mix of veteran and young talent. Uh, Ziegler in his second year really as being point guard. Uh, Santiago Vescovi, who feels like he's been there for 20 years. Uh, Josiah Jordan James, uh, Euros Plavšić, um, um, Julian Phillips with a five-star forward. He's one of those young, talented players for them. Just an overall, just a really, really good team. Offensively, they they are elite. I mean, they are elite, best of the best defensively. Offensively, they're good. They're not great. That I mean, and again, I'm nitpicking here. I, 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 their offense is good, but it it is it's not the strength of their team. Their strength of their team is their defense. So if Auburn is going to somehow pull off this upset against Tennessee, which I think is a long shot in Knoxville, uh, Auburn's going to play them. In Neville Arena, they can certainly pull it off there with the the home court advantage. But if Auburn's going to pull off this upset at Tennessee, they're going to have to play the best game they've played all year. They're going to have to play lockdown defensively, meaning they're they're going to have to force Tennessee into tough looks. Tennessee can knock down threes. They can get to the basket. Uh, they're physical in the paint, uh, so Janai Broom would have to have a big uh, game staying out of foul trouble and defending uh, down low. Auburn's going to have to probably play more man because of Tennessee's ability to knock down the three, uh, so defending uh, defending the line well. And then offensively, you're going to have to make tough shots 
just period. You're going to have to have good ball movement, cannot turn it over, and going to have to be able to knock down shots with hands in the face. There's just, there's just no doubt about it. Tennessee is not going to let Auburn get easy looks. So it's going to take a near-perfect game from the Tigers to win this one, and it's going to take a little bit of probably a poor shooting game uh, from Tennessee to pull it off. It's going to be a really tough matchup for Auburn. The good news is we all know the history of Rick Barnes and Bruce Pearl, and Bruce Pearl facing his former team. Historically, Bruce has done very, very well against Tennessee. I think last year was the first time in a maybe ever or in a while that Tennessee had, had beaten Bruce. Uh, they Auburn, uh, Tennessee beat Auburn in a close one in Knoxville last season, uh, at the end of last season. So, again, he's uh, Bruce has fared well against uh, Tennessee, but nonetheless, it is going to be a tough matchup against one of the best teams in the country on the road. So that is why I think it is so important for Auburn to win this game tonight against Georgia. It's, it's about as close of a thing, close as you can come to a must-win uh, as far as uh, games go for Auburn because this stretch is Georgia tonight, Tennessee on the road Saturday, A&M on the road Tuesday, Bama at home on Saturday, the following Saturday. That's brutal. That's brutal. I, I'm not going to preview the Texas A&M game because I did that last week on the show, and I've talked about them already recapping the game. I think it'll be a different game as well the second time around against them, but it's still on the road in College Station. It's not going to be an easy matchup. Uh, it's going to be a tough game. So it, it's a tough three-game stretch, and it's a legitimate chance that Auburn could go 0-3 in that stretch. They certainly need to pull out one. I, I think your best chance is going to be to pull out the game either on the road at, at Texas A&M or at home against Alabama. If you could pull out two out of three, I mean, that would be, quite frankly, that would be incredible. Uh, it, w- it would be a huge accomplishment uh, to pull out two out of the three of those games. But again, going back to Georgia tonight, that's why Auburn has to win this game. Auburn's a better team than Georgia. They're at home. Absolutely got to pull this one off. Really need a good night, need a confidence builder, and that's why I want to see this team really get control. I expect it to be a close game, you know, for most most of the way through, especially probably around halftime, but I'd like to see about that 10-minute mark in the second half. Auburn really starts to pull away, and they really end up winning this game by around 15. That's what I would like to see. If I see that from this team tonight, I'll be feeling good going into what I know is going to be a brutal stretch uh, of games moving forward. So, I mean, I put uh, on my, my notes here of the Tennessee preview, I put uh, dot, 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 all caps, oh boy, uh, because it, it's going to be tough on Saturday. It, it just is. Um, so don't get too frustrated by that one. It's already hard enough to win on the road in the SEC and then going to face one of the toughest teams uh, in the conference. It's, it's going to be a tough one. But with that, we'll wrap it up. Hopefully, this will be a good night for Auburn. And overall, maybe we'll get a little surprise on Saturday. Who knows what can happen? Anything can happen in college basketball. When we return, we're going to do a new uh, segment here on Talking Tumors called Hot Topic of the Week. And this week, we're talking about referees. There have been a lot of talk professionally, college, at all levels, uh, of how refereeing can improve in the NFL, in college football, college basketball. I'm going to focus more on college football. Uh, but we'll talk about that when we get back here on the final segment of Talking Tumors. Stay tuned. 91.1. So refereeing is always criticized, and it's always going to be criticized. Just like playing, I think a lot of people forget this, the refs are human too. 
and they're playing a game of their own, if you will, out there. They're going to make mistakes, just like players make mistakes every single game. It's just going to happen. Whenever you have the human element in in anything, in life, in, in, in sports, and in whatever you're doing, there's going to be mistakes. There's going to be failures because we are human. And so there's not going to be a perfect fix for refereeing. But like anything, you can always make things better. And so refereeing can be improved. And there are some general steps that I believe, in my opinion, could help refereeing as a whole in all sports, the main sports that we talk about here, football and, and basketball. And then I'll look at some specific things just for football that I'd like to see. Starting for general fixes, though, pay them more. College sports, thinking about college sports especially, they're making a lot of money. College football, the revenue that these conferences are bringing in is insane and it's only going to increase. You're seeing what coaches are getting paid. You're seeing what players are getting in NIL deals. There is no reason not to be able to pay referees more. And if you pay them more, you should get a higher quality out of them. A lot of these guys are working other jobs. This isn't the only thing they're focused on. So pay the referees more. That, that's the first general fix for me. Number two, increase technology. It is the year 2023, yet we still don't use the highest level of technology available to us. And again, like I just said with money, that shouldn't be an issue. The, the money is there to be able to spend on this technology uh, to be able to help uh, matters. And I'll talk about some of the matters in just a second on what this technology uh, can be used for, starting with technology being used to spot the ball in football. I get frustrated, and I'll give credit because I really not not thought about this to uh, Josh Pate does a uh, Late Kick Josh podcast. He talked about this. We're still using chains. And again, it's 2023. We're still using a chain. And you saw it get tangled up there, and I believe it was one of the NFL playoff games, and that was just just weird. Like we've got all this technology that you see on TV that you you got the little, you know, the line there. Why, why, why are we still using chains when we should be able to have something that Guys are looking at upstairs, and they can communicate down to the referee on the field exactly where the ball should be spotted, whether it was first down or not. Uh, it's fine to still have the yardsticks out there and all that, but still using chains in this day and age, I I think that that's unnecessary uh, at this point. You may be old school and disagree with, with that opinion, but I think you can get a more accurate spotting of the ball and also have to remove the the off chance of having to review spots of the ball now, in football, if you already are looking at it um, through uh, video and looking at it through, you know, you have these TV stations where they literally put up like a wall and you can see the football poking through that wall so you know if it's a if first down or not. Why aren't you using something like that? Look, I'm not a tech genius. I don't know how all that works, but I know it's pretty accurate. And so I think that would help as far as spotting of the ball goes than having to use just the naked eye of a referee and then the chains to... Uh, to mark the spot. Also, quicker reviews. I will give credit to the NFL for this. This is something that needs to improve in college. I like the NFL rules better as far as time goes. I think their games are more efficient. I like that they don't stop the clock for first downs. I like that out of bounds, they stop it until the ball's set. They stop the ball for incomplete passes, of course. The game just is more efficient. I, I wish that college would go to those rules as far as time went. But another thing I think the NFL does well, and they've got issues officiating as well. These are some things I'm mentioning I think they should do too. Um, but their replay, I believe, is better. 
the way that they have guys in the booth that are immediately looking at questionable calls, and then they in real time are able to message down to the referee, okay, change this. So we don't have to stop the play because, oh, we need more time to look at this. SEC does it some, but not as well, where they're able to just go ahead and, and make the adjustment without having to stop the game. Let me go look at this, and then that takes time. No, in real time, in that 40 seconds that you've got in between plays, they're, they're working as fast as they can, and if they got a call wrong and they're able to see it real quickly, then they're able to tell the ref, hey, this was wrong, this is what, this is what should be going on, because they've got guys working in the booth. And that helps expedite the game. And it really, there's no reason you shouldn't be doing that. I understand there's times with the hurry up and guys know that maybe that call was wrong. Well, you do have to blow the whistle dead and you do have to go take a look at it. But in cases where you can move it at a quicker pace like that, I think that is very, very uh, important moving forward uh, to be able to speed up the game. And then in college, update the targeting rule. This has been something I've been frustrated about for years. It's, it's so frustrating. And the automatic ejections for non-intentional targetings, and we still don't have a lot of clarity on the rule. That needs to be fixed as well. 15-yard penalty, fine, but don't inject a guy. If they do it twice, I'm okay with it at that point. Or if it is just completely egregious, I'm okay with it. But for guys who aren't intentionally trying to go helmet to helmet there, there's just no reason for the automatic injection. I understand the safety concerns, and I think that is extremely important, obviously. But it's gotten out of hand, I believe, in college. So as far as it needs to be, um, the rule needs to continue to be worked on uh, to understand it better because, again, there's still just is a lot of opinion uh, in there as far as what the referee sees. Um, a lot of changes still need to be made to targeting overall. And then finally, real quickly, pass interference is another rule that needs to be updated, that needs to be changed. Um, well, not changed. It just needs to, needs to be better understood, like targeting. What does a... Uh, needs to take less opinion out of it with the referee. It needs to be m- more clear-cut. So those are just some of the quick things as we wrap up here that need to be adjusted, I believe, to help make refereeing better. I'm sure others have other ideas. Those are just some of the things that, that I thought of and um, wanted to share. So with that, we need to wrap up the show today. But thank you all for tuning in to Talking Tumors here. We'll be back again next Wednesday at 10 o'clock. Thank you for listening to Talkin' Tumors. Make sure to tune in again next Wednesday at 10 for another edition. Also, make sure to check out Weagle's 24-hour live stream on WeagleFM.com and follow us on social media at Weagle underscore AU. War Eagle and see you next time.